On today's installment of the John Campia Show podcast, Warner Brothers is apparently pulling out of talks to acquire Paramount. Also, Bad Boys, Bad, Bad, Bad Boys 4 is moving up the release date to actually go head-to-head with The Crow. Jake Gyllenhaal is contradicting his Roadhouse director, saying Amazon always told them this movie was going to be a streaming movie. And we're going to talk about, I uh, got to, one of the most irritating things that some movie critics do. We're going to talk about that and a few things more. The John Cabe Show podcast starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie related show on the planet Earth, the John Cabe Show podcast, coming to you from right here in our quaint little studio, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around so we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, TV and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff, not just giving you our opinions, but also giving you some information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or different than ours. Uh, joining me in studio today, we got Ray Ora. Hey, good morning. Jonathan Voikos here. Hello. Chris Carr is in the house. Hey, guys. And most importantly... You guys are here. Thank you so much for being here and making this little show part of your day. Here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to break it down into two parts. In the first part, we're going to talk about those predetermined topics that I listed off. Then in the second part of the show, we're going to take any topic you guys want to talk about. You guys can send in a live topic, question, theory, opinion, observation about all the topics or any other topic that you like by using the Super Chat feature in the live chat. The Super Chats are open right now. They're not going to be open for the whole show, so get your question, thought, opinion in. And as long as it's appropriate to be used on our show, we'll address those at or near the end of the show. Oh, and by the way, before we get started, Shogun's out. Shogun is out. What I hope to be my TV equivalent of Dune 2 uh, is now out. I haven't had a chance to watch a single frame of it yet, but I already saw a few guys in the live chat earlier this morning once the show uh, post went live talking about it a few people have already seen the first two episodes i guess they dropped the first two episodes so now i need to get caught up on avatar i need to get caught up on uh halo i need to now get caught up on the next first two episodes of uh uh freaking shogun i'm falling behind yeah falling behind to be fair when it shows that you like like across the board that's a really fun experience yeah yes And all these are shows I got to sit and wait for Anne as well. So it's a little hard to keep up, but I will try. Oh, and House of Ninjas. Ron H. in the live oh, chat wow. reminded me. House of Nin- I also got to watch House of Ninjas. <laughs> That's on my watch list. I got to get caught up with this. So uh, here we go. All right. With that all down, guys, let's get things started here, shall we? We're going to start off with this. I love Paramount Studios. I think they've done a lot of great things over the years. I think they're doing some good, smart things right now. But everybody in the industry and most fans know that they are struggling at the same time, right? There have been a lot of talks and whispers about possibly being a target to be acquired, acquisitions, mergers, all that kind of stuff. There have been some pitches about some third parties coming in and buying pieces of Paramount. Some want to buy the whole thing. Some want to buy the whole thing and then break it up into pieces. A lot of stuff going on. But the most interesting player in this who's going to acquire Paramount game, if anybody's going to acquire it, has been Warner Brothers. You know, some time ago, um, Warner Brothers CEO David Zaslav said, hey, we've gotten our debt situation under control and we are now moving into a phase of acquisition and they would like to add things to the company. Paramount, at least in theory and on paper, 
seems like a great thing to acquire. It's got a lot of great IP. It's got a number of various business interests. It's a recognizable name, and it would bolster your content offerings, some really good, some not so good, which they'd probably ask, but it would bolster your content offerings and widen your footprint in the entire digital streaming space all at the same time. Not to mention their studio facilities, okay, the iconic Paramount lot right down in Hollywood. A lot of things would come along with it. The question would be, how big of a price tag would it carry? And apparently, the price tag might be a little bit too big because Reuters and uh, Yahoo Finance are reporting the following. Warner Brothers Discovery is no longer pursuing a merger with Paramount Global, halting its talks after several months of kicking the tires on merging the media companies, CNBC reported on Tuesday, citing sources familiar with the matter. Uh, so basically, it looks like that's done. You know, Jonathan and I were talking before the show started about this, and I really do believe this would have been a good acquisition for Warner Brothers to pick up Paramount. But everything that would be good for you to buy has to not be too expensive. Like, yes, I would love to buy. Ann and I were, were in a casino and they had this very, very expensive gift shop in it. And behind glass in this gift shop where you could buy Doritos right here, I could buy a bag of Doritos. And then right beside that little stand is this glass box that had a Gucci bag in it, a little, little bag like this big, like this big. I could maybe put two cans of soda in it. It was Two thousand. Never put soda cans in a Gucci bag. <laughs> it was two thousand two hundred dollars. But imagine how many Cheetos you, you could, could fit put in a that lot. Bag. Doritos so in many that. Cheetos, yeah. right? That just does the essentially the same job that my bag at the grocery bag I get at Ralph's will do. You put some stuff. Only the grocery bag at Ralph's will carry more. Oh, and it doesn't matter if it gets wet. And that was 10 cents that I paid for it, $2,200. Like, the point and moral of the story is, no matter how good something might be, if it's not the right price, it's a bad thing to buy. I remember watching a, a home renovation show once where, where there, I think it was the Property Brothers and trying to show houses this couple. And they said, the right house at the wrong price is still the wrong house. I'm like, yes, the right studio to buy at the wrong price is still the wrong studio to buy. I think this is an unfortunate thing. I think this would have been a great opportunity for Warner Brothers to buy it. But if you're just starting to get yourself clawed out of, you know, paralyzing debt, you can't dive right back too much into debt again. So it's unfortunate, but I get it. Anyway, Chris, you heard about this. I mean, Paramount is still this big, juicy piece on the board that a lot of vultures are trying to circle. Warner Brothers is one of them. Ooh. What do you think about Warner Brothers dropping out and what can you see happening with them here? I, I'm honestly surprised that they did drop out about this. Uh, everyone seems to kind of be slowly meandering off. I'm still devastated that it didn't go to you know Comcast because a mountain peacock kind of thing here. Mountcock? <laughs> Come on, it writes itself. It Mountcock? It would have been a great streaming service. It would have been wonderful. It would have been fabulous. But you know... Reverse that. Yeah. <laughs> they still have Skydance Media in the mix. They're still in talks with them. They also have, oh, what is that gentleman's name? Byron. Oh, oh gosh. yeah. It's not Byron Scott, is it? 
It is. Let me double check here. Byron Scott, the it is. shooting guard for the Los Angeles Lakers from 1982. But I, I love that you think that that's who yeah, I that's would who know, right? That's exactly to. who I would know. Exactly. Byron, Byron Allen. Byron Allen, so right? So he offered $14 billion, but historically, he also just tends to bid on stuff and not actually follow through when it comes to a lot of the media. That has happened. Which yes. happens quite a bit. So I know that Paramount has their own special financial advisory board here, too, trying to make things work. I'm sure someone's going to acquire it. It's just right now. Things are really touch and go for all media companies. Yes. Yeah. You know, we had this big old strike where no one worked for months. People are being very choosy about what kind of media they have. You know, this is going to be the least greenlit kind of pilot season we've had in ages. I know from an actor's perspective and from a writer's perspective, there aren't as many shows being made. People are being very, very deliberate with the movies they film and everything and what gets for moving forward. Because what have we seen so much of this year, too? So many projects that they start them and then they complete them and then they dump them for the tax write-off where they completely get rid of or they try to sell it off. So people are being really choosy with the media they even make. So investing in an entire media company right now, mm. I'm sure for most companies, while that seems like a golden goose, especially with Paramount's catalog, it's still really, really dodgy because it could be a poor investment just because of the kind of year everybody's had. You got to get it at the right price. Exactly. Even successful companies, you know, right? We've talked about how Disney has had a decline, but for Disney, everyone still has to really kind of mind their P's and Q's and really look at those dollars. And plus what Paramount has is like the CBS, right? They have mm -hmm. CBS. Oh, yeah. There. They carry mm -hmm. a lot so of branches like with that, them. The broadcasting aspect of it, like uh, live TV, whatever. Um, they they could have gained something from because they they're like the only Warner Brothers is the only um, uh, company that hasn't gone into the bidding wars for football football like streaming football and all the other stuff. Oh, they have. They have. Yeah, yeah. They've I, just lost. I, yeah, yeah. I think they just. I mean, I think they went in with tepid bids just to kind of start testing water. Because remember, Warner Brothers is also now talking. They're talking about merging in, not merging in, but they've. We just talked about this on the show where them, Disney, ABC, all these things are going to create one big massive sports streaming yeah. thing. So they're they're looking at getting. Oh, into are that. they a part of that? Yeah, are they a part Warner of that, Brothers that, is a part that of football that. thing? Yep. Okay, because I was about to say that would bring in new subscribers if you have something showing. Well, look what that, it did for uh, Peacock. Yeah. Peacock just had their by far most successful quarter, and it was all because of their NFL football right. that they put on. Mm. It's it's kind of crazy and. Warner Brothers maybe could have expanded that footprint again, but you got to get it at the right price. Because, you know, again, quoting Property Brothers, which we don't do a lot on this show, the right house for the wrong price is still the wrong house. And so it's going to be interesting. technically, if they got Paramount and they wanted to show some of their DC stuff on a live chat, they, they would be able to do that, right? If they bought Paramount and they had CBS... They could show that on Well, they could put it on any network they want oh, right okay. now, really. I mean, it, all they'd have to do is just license it out if they wanted to do that. But it would offer more options for them with a the bigger footprint. But we'll see what happens from here. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to this, shall we? Bad Boys for Life, which was terribly short-sighted on their titling. Will Smith has admitted to this because... That was for the third movie. Bad Boys for Life for the third movie? Should have saved that for the fourth one because the fourth one's coming. And now, according to report, it's coming sooner than we thought. It's actually moved up a week, but what's more interesting than it moving a week is now what puts it head-to-head -head against. This comes to us from our good friends over at Joe Blow who wrote the following. Sony is seemingly asking Lionsgate, what you gonna do, what you gonna do now that Bad Boys 4 is coming for you? 
It was recently reported that the John Wick spinoff series, uh, a movie ballerina starring Ava Anna de Armas, will be undergoing extensive reshoots, which will push the release back from June 7th, 2024, over a full year to June 6th, 2025. According to the John Wick star Ian McShane, the new shooting for Ballerina, you know, it's like they've got to protect the franchise and they want to make it better because they have to protect the franchise. However, Lionsgate in need of a summer release uh, would move the Crow reboot, which comes from filmmaker Rupert Sanders and stars Bill Skarsgård, into Ballerina's original date. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Deadline now reports that Sony is gunning for the same release date uh, for their Will Smith and Martin Lawrence buddy cop comedy sequel. Bad Boys 4 was originally slated to premiere on June 14th, but after the news of The Crow being moved up, they decided to release the film a week earlier on June 7th to go toe-to-toe with Lionsgate. So, first of all, I'll just admit that I forgot Bad Boys 4 was coming that soon. I totally forgot that it was, that it was coming. Like I knew a Bad Boys 4 was coming for some reason. It's like an, I would just think of it kind of in the ether about sometime in 2025. No, it's coming in just a couple of months. Uh, so there's that. Interesting choice to move it to go head-to-head with The Crow. And I'll tell you what they're thinking. Nobody's going to go see The Crow. That, that's what they're thinking. They're thinking, you know what? We like this matchup. We like this matchup. We like putting, we feel comfortable putting our Will Smith, like as he starts clawing his way out of the the muck of his own controversy, we feel very confident in this matchup of putting our Will Smith lead fourth part of a franchise against a cult classic reboot that has had five different stars, four different directors, seven different sets of writers and about 10 years of development hell to even get to the big screen. We like this matchup. Now, I'm not sitting here crap talking The Crow because I haven't seen one frame from The New Crow. Maybe The New Crow with Bill Skarsgård. By the way, how stupid talented is that whole freaking family? Mm-hmm. Um, but for all I know, this New Crow with Bill Skarsgård might become like my favorite movie of the year. I, I don't know. It might be. But clearly, they think they've got a good matchup here. And they think a bad boys would trounce something like the crow. And you know what, Chris? I don't think they're wrong. I don't think they're wrong. I mean, I have no idea whether Bad Boys 4 or The Crow will be the better movie. I, sure. I, I just don't know yet. And that will certainly have something to do with it. But all other things being equal, I would 1,000% put my money down on, if we're talking about which of these two movies will win that box office weekend, it's going to be Bad Boys. It's going to be Bad Boys by a mile. So I actually kind of think this is an interesting move, but also probably kind of the right move. I don't know. What do you think about this? I mean, I, I first of all have to say that th- this is not my franchise. I am I am <laughs> Sergeant Angel here. I have never seen a Bad Boys oh, wow. at all. Um, and I need to in the chat usually. It's like, what? You haven't seen Bad Boys? Oh, Bad Boys too. Um I've never seen him either. I got to see him. Okay. Yay. Oh, Studio B Day. Yeah, yeah. Yay. <laughs> wow. Um, but I do know that these movies have made a significant amount of money. It's a franchise that's done well. Whereas The Crow, not as much. Yes, does it have that cult following? Absolutely. But I mean, ever since Brandon Lee's very tragic death associated with this film series, there's been this kind of idea that the, the film franchise itself is cursed. Right. And it is very much a kind of taken storyline a silent night storyline it's that 
John Wick kind of thing. It is a story about vengeance, typically, right? Where it's this musician whose fiance is murdered, comes back, yada, yada, yada. Um, <laughs> you know, typical Sunday. Typical. In this timeline, very typical thing that we keep That's seeing true. in movies and franchises. I think, though, this has a little more star power. One, you got these two guys, no matter how you feel about Will Smith, and I think that he should have a comeback in everything. I think he's made some really good amends here um, and certainly has done far less than other people in Hollywood. Um, Bill Skarsgård, great actor, wonderful performer. I don't think people see him and go, oh, I know that guy. I think it's one of those, oh, yeah, he plays Pennywise. Oh, yeah, he's done this. Um, Boy Kills World, I think, will be very good for his career. But I think The Crow... Maybe it'll be an amazing film. Maybe it will be. But I feel like Bad Boys is definitely going to be the the one that people are going to see. And then maybe others will flock to the crow afterwards. Was was it Bill that was in John Wick 4? Or was that one of the yes. other Skarsgård brothers? It is Bill, I believe. I yeah. can double check that okay. though. Because there's, there's a lot of Skarsgårds running around. There's I just so saw many one of them, of them in Dune They're too. an empire. Yeah, yeah, the Skarsgårdian empire, yeah. everybody. We just kind of live in that land. Look, I, again, I think the movie... This is the crow is gonna is a movie right now that has just beaten itself to death. Right. I mean, we all remember when the guy from Boardwalk Empire, the guy with half the face, I forget his name, but then he later starred Jack in the Houston. remake of Ben Hur. Who's that? Jack Houston. Jack Houston was supposed to be the crow. Then, I mean, they made a big deal out of that. Then gone. Luke Evans. I love Luke Evans. By mm-hmm. the way, Luke Evans was then. Hey, everybody! <laughs> Luke Evans is going to be the crow. And then departed. By the way, Luke Evans' story, I went into interview one day and I brought Anne along to be the camera person. And I said to Luke Evans, I said, actually, I'm the one who's going to be doing the interview. Anna's going to be my camera person today. And Luke Evans said, I've never met a more beautiful camera person. And I said to Luke, I said, well, you got great taste because Anne is my wife. To which I have never received a dirtier look from my wife in my life. And like the look of... <laughs> Like, why must you you ruin everything for me? Kind of look. It was thick. But anyway, love Luke Evans. (laughs) And he was supposed to be the thing. And then he was gone. Jason Momoa was supposed to be. They announced it. Jason Momoa is going to be the crow. They were literally, literally two weeks away from shooting. And then that all fell apart. Tom Hiddleston, Loki, was supposed then signed up at one point to be the new crow. Not T. Hiddle. (laughs) T. Hiddle. What they needed was... uh, P. Willie instead of T. Hiddle. Ray does not like the T. Hiddle. Come on, T. Hiddle. Respect the respect the P. Willie. But yeah, he was supposed to be it, and then that fell apart. So, like, you'd have to forgive a lot of people. It's like, wait, that's still happening. That that's still because it has been years with name (laughs) after name after name after name attached to be the crow, and I, I think a lot of people are in the spot of even people who follow movie news are probably in the spot of. Wait, they, they're they still making that? That's still happening? And so, yeah, I kind of like the move. I think Bad Boys 4 will compare up and match up very well <laughs> against The Crow. Both, so Both of them will get their audiences. Will they, though? Yeah, I think so. They're will just, they? They're, like, really different, really. If you want that I haven't buddy, heard anybody talking about The Crow. Buddy cop thing. I, you know what? I've never been into the or i haven't seen any of the crow movies and maybe a little bit i know a little bit of the lore but maybe this is something that will get me into it who knows i mean i hope it's good like i hope every movie but i when's guys help me out here when's the last time somebody wrote in a question asking about the crow that's it happens but it's been a minute has it like like how long has it been since somebody asked a question it's like literally once every two months or something they're like any updates on the crow 
It's like the probably the same person it's, too. It's been on that cycle where it's like just release it already. You know yeah. what I mean? It's been that long. See people in the live chat saying bad crows for life. Hell yes! Yeah. <laughs> like there you go. Oh my god, over. that is gold. Right no, this there. is this is our new Barbenheimer. Yes. No, it's not. Yes, it's the new Barbenheimer. Oh boy, uh, bad crows. It's good. They'd be happy if it was that. They'd be real happy if it became like memed out. <laughs> oh yeah, they'd be super excited <laughs> about that. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to this. This is honestly one of the most sad and kind of confusing <laughs> stories in Hollywood right now. Okay, so let's back up the truck a little bit. Doug Lyman, who I, I think is a terrific director. I, I, I mean, he's made some stuff I don't like, but he can make some really fun movies. And I've, I've actually been on, I was in one of his movies, actually. Oh. Um, uh, anyway, so... He's doing Roadhouse, right? And originally when he signed up to do Roadhouse, MGM was still its own independent uh, studio. And they agreed to make a Roadhouse movie. Now, before they ever started sh shooting the movie, though, Amazon purchased MGM. Now, according to Doug Lyman, they then began conversations with Amazon about whether or not this will be a theatrical release, which is what he originally signed on to do, or be a streaming movie, and Amazon was non-committal. So maybe we'll go theatrical, maybe we'll go streaming, whatever. Now, ultimately, they decided Amazon made the wrong choice, by the way, but they made the wrong choice, but it was their choice to make to make it a, a streaming exclusive. The new Roadhouse film with Jake Gyllenhaal was going to be a streaming exclusive. Now, for after that, you guys remember a couple weeks ago, the director, Doug Lyman, I believe it was in Variety, wrote an op-ed piece, wrote an editorial for Variety, bashing Amazon, saying, I'm not even going to go to the premiere of my own film at South by Southwest because they kept leading me on thinking that we were going to make this a theatrical film. They kept saying, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll make it theatrical. And said, this film should be theatrical. That's what I signed up for. That's what I made this film for. Amazon doesn't care about cinema. Amazon doesn't care about this. And he was really upset and he's boycotting his own movie. But then another report came out. I think it was in Deadline. Another report came out saying that, well, actually, here's what happened. After Amazon bought MGM, they went to the producers and the filmmakers and said, well, tell you what, we can give you a $60 million budget and we can put this out theatrically because we need to save some money so we can put a marketing campaign behind it. So you can have $60 million to make this movie and it goes to theaters or you can have $80 million. I think that was the number. Forgive me if I'm off by a little bit. Or we can give you $80 million to make this movie and we put it to streaming. And Deadline says the filmmakers took the money. They took the money, which kind of contradicts what Doug Lyman was saying. And now there's somebody else contradicting what Doug Lyman is saying. His star of the movie, Jake Gyllenhaal. In response to Doug Lyman saying that they kind of led me to believe we were going to put this out in theaters. Jake Gyllenhaal said the following. This comes from the folks at IndieWire. Gyllenhaal says, I adore Doug's tenacity, and I think he is advocating for filmmakers and film in the cinema and theatrical releases. But, I mean, Amazon was always clear that it was streaming. Amazon always made it clear that it was going to be streaming. 
this is a really interesting statement from Jalen Hall because he's walking a very fine line. He's being he's making sure to be very complimentary to his director. I love Doug, his tenacity. He wants to stand up for theaters and stand up for cinema. But as far as what Doug's saying about they were kind of teasing us, they were he says Amazon was always pretty straight with us. This is gonna go to streaming. They've always been straight with us. This is going to streaming. This kind of coincides with that deadline report where it said they early gave them the option, look, you can make it theatrical, but you're going to have less money to make the movie with, or you can go streaming and we'll give you more money. And they said, give us more money. Which I need to hear Doug Lyman respond to this because I'll be honest with you, this just sounds to me like Doug Lyman just wrote an article because he was mad and lied, like straight up lied. And for the record... I agree with Doug Lyman's premise. Amazon should 100% be putting this movie in theaters. Amazon is 100% making a mistake by doing this. They're cutting out the knees of their filmmakers. They're cutting their own knees out. Because they could make a little bit of money in theaters and then it will do even better on streaming. Every da- All data points have always proved that. There's, this isn't even a debate. It's not a discussion. You put it in theaters first, it'll do better on streaming. So Amazon is 100% making a mistake doing this. But that doesn't give Doug Lyman the right to lie about it. And Chris, as we look at that one article, I believe it was Deadline writing the story that, hey, they, they get, Amazon gave them the choice. Take less money, theaters. Take more money, streaming. They said, money, please. And now Jake Gyllenhaal is saying, yeah, I love Doug, but Amazon was always pretty clear this is going to streaming. This was never it. I don't know. This this has been a really interesting he said, she said kind of back and forth stuff. And what do you make of all this at this point now that we've got Hall's comments? It's a mess. It's an absolute mess. And Hall sounds very much like an actor who would like to keep his career. <laughs> he sounds like <laughs> an actor who really wants people to see this thing. I, I do love his sentiment of uh, sentiment, I should say, not sentiment. That's rock. Yeah, uh, um, so his sentiment about <laughs> How, you know, he's watched movies on a laptop and been equally moved as when he's in a theater because the job of a story is to move people. But that he enjoys the theatrical release, but is trying to embrace streaming as well. It's a very diplomatic Switzerland kind of answer, right? Yeah. Of I'm not going to take a hard stance, but also Amazon did say what they said. I don't know. Um, and, you know, he's had his own scandals recently. And so I feel like he is very versed in PR talk and all of that. Um it does make me a little concerned about what Doug Lyman thought was going on here mm. because it, it is getting to the point of if, if it is not just the studio saving face and saying this has always been the deal, if it's also the actors and the other people on board, all the crew and everything too, saying this has always been the case, is Doug okay? Is, is, <laughs> does he have a very different idea of how this happened? Because obviously you want your film to have a theatrical release. Obviously the, the data shows that you have a more successful film if it goes into a theaters and then on streaming on all of that. But if this has always been the deal, I don't understand what sort of agenda Doug has here with, with trying to drag his own film and the studio that produced it. Mm. Because that's kind of what it's starting to feel like. Again, we don't know everything that's happening here. It is that he said, she said, he, this director versus this studio kind of thing. And I hate to ever side with Amazon, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it does, it, it is all adding up in this really, really negative light for Doug Lyman, looking, looking like he didn't read his own contract, looking like he didn't know what he was getting into and now snowballing that 
miscommunication out of control. I hope that's not the case. I hope there is something that to what he's been saying, because otherwise, I feel like this is the kind of thing that can make a breaker a career. I love the idea of somebody standing up to a studio. I don't love the idea of somebody blatantly lying to try to make some kind of point about how films belong in the cinema. Because I feel like this negates that cause then. If it's, no, no, I decided to try to change the rules of the contract last yeah. minute. I here's a, and I don't know if you got a pic, another picture of Doug Lyman there that we could bring I up. But I mean, one. here's the funny thing. I have no, I would have had no problem at all if Doug Lyman had written an op-ed piece on Variety and just said, I'm going to boycott the premiere of my own movie because... To your point, Doug has always kind of, and I again, I think he's a fun director. I really like yeah. a lot of his movies, but he always looks like a guy who doesn't quite know if it's Monday or Thursday right now. <laughs> um, but I mean, if he had written his op-ed piece, <laughs> he looks a little bit like, hey, what's up? Um, if he had written his op-ed piece just to say, you know what? We ended up making an exceptional movie and the test scores have been through the roof. And we, very stable genius, and we really should be putting this thing in theaters. And I get that the original, that they told us it was extremely, I get that, but we've got a great product. And we're in an important time when these sorts of movies should be going to theaters. And I've expressed that to, to Amazon and they're insisting on sticking just with going streaming. So I'm going to sit this one out. You know what? Perfect. That's a perfectly rational perfectly legitimate position to take. I would have had no problem with that. But to lie about the situation, to say, well, Amazon's always been, has told me all along that they might put this in theaters. Okay, Doug, but everybody else so far who's weighing in on this is saying that that's not true. Even the your star of the movie is yeah, saying- that gets a little dicey. Yeah, it's getting dicey. Like, And it, here's the unfortunate part. Throwing in the little dicey is undermining- his own argument. Yeah. His own argument is great, yeah. but as soon as you start trying to throw in lies to back it up, well, now you've undermined yourself, and it's too bad, because now instead of talking about how this movie should be going to theaters, now we've got to talk about how the news outlets, Amazon, and Jake Gyllenhaal are all saying you're lying. Mm -hmm. That Now that's the story. Instead of the story just being about putting... Because Doug Lyman had the opportunity to make the conversation just about... We got a great movie. It should go to theaters. Right. And and he's throwing that away. Maybe he was drinking that cinema juice from his buddy here. Yeah. I'm he was like, hey, man, it worked for Maverick. I'm going to do this. And then it just backfired, you know? I, I, I know. just, it's too bad. It's unfortunate because he was right. He's right. Amazon should be putting this in theaters. Yeah. But you muddied the waters. And now we're just going to talk about how Doug Lyman's a liar. And now our other studios going to hesitate to work with him again. Because it's like, Look, Amazon was pretty clear with him. They made a deal. He made the movie. And now he's trying to undermine his own movie. Who's to say he won't do the same thing if we work with him? And he could be hurting his career here. Exactly. There's a reason why assholes continue to work a lot of the time, but difficult people don't. There is a difference between those perceptions, right? Someone can be very obnoxious on set or be problematic or be demanding, but they can toe the line when they're making the press circuit, right? If you are difficult and you do stuff like this, that is the final nail in your coffin in Hollywood. Yeah, because I'll I'll, I'll tell you a story. I'm not going to name names though. Name. At some point. <laughs> at some point, I won't say if it was for the John Campus show when I was at Collider, when I was at AMC. I won't even give you a time frame. 
but there was somebody that some of you watching, I am sure you've heard their name. There was somebody who was approaching me about a job and about working for me at either the John Campbell show, AMC or Collider. Right. And I then got contacted by two different, granted with this part of the, you know, reference checking, whatever, but I talked to two people at two other organizations that told me a very similar story. Not no laws were broken or anything like that, but it was just something, a a clear repeated behavior. And that I just had to then sit down with this person and say, look, you might be really great, but other people who've worked with you have told me they've had this problem with you. And I can't take that risk. So we can't work together. I wish you well, but we I can't take that risk. I got other people are relying on me to make good decisions for what we do here, and we can't take that risk. Doug Lyman has put himself in that position now, which is unfortunate because he can make really fun movies. And if Roadhouse ends up being as good as what Amazon is saying it is, then it's going to be a real shame for that. But I don't know. We'll just have to... And isn't he supposed to be making the outer space movie with Tom Cruise? Isn't that... Doug Lyman directing that? I can't remember. It might be Doug Lyman directing that one. It might be somebody else. But anyway, we're just going to have to see what happens with that. All right. Guys, with that down, let's move on to this, shall we? So Dune 2 is out right now. And, you know, we, Rob and I both absolutely wax poetic about this yesterday. I called it simply, I think it's one of the best films ever made. And uh, Rob said, I'm underselling it. So, I mean, we loved it. We obviously loved Dune 2. This is not a topic about Dune 2, though. It's a topic that I've kind of touched on a little bit here and there, but it's something that really drives me crazy. And I don't often like to do Peter Griffin, What Grinds My Gears segments, but I I, I really feel the need to do that here. I love film critics. I've loved film critics since I was a kid. And I'm not one of these people that needs to find a film critic that says the things I agree with to like them. I love film critics, even ones I disagree with all the time, who are really good at expressing what they thought about a movie and breaking down why they felt that. And as long as a film critic can do that, Roger Ebert is a great example. I, I Honestly, not trying to be cliche, Roger Ebert's probably him and, um, well, I'll stick with Roger for right now like one of my all-time favorite film critics because even though I disagreed with his opinion on movies like half the time, he was brilliant at state at, at, at expressing what he thought of a movie and why he felt that way. And that helped me as just a, a kid who loved movies better have a better grasp on why I liked a movie or why I disliked a movie regardless of what his opinion was. The way he broke it down helped me better understand my own position, whether it was the same as his or opposite as his, and I adore that and I love that. I'm somebody who really loves film critics, and I have for a long time. But the, from time to time, there is a habit or a behavior that some film critics, you know what, probably all film critics at one point or another, even though I don't count myself as a film critic, I'm going to raise my hand and admit guilt in this myself. We've all done it. Some do it more than others, but we've all been guilty of it. This habit of not reviewing a movie based on the movie, but rather reviewing a movie 
based on whether it did my preconceived idea of what this movie should do, be, who should be in it, who shouldn't be, and what should the message be. And quite frankly, that has no place in film criticism. We touched on this a little while ago when the John Wick spinoff series, The Continental, came out, right? I did not love The Continental. I thought it was okay. I, I, I didn't love it. It certainly had some pros and cons, whatever. But I got really infuriated reading some critics who, who were like zero out of four, you know, two out of 10, whatever. And I'm, ta I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about every critic that disliked it. I'm saying there were certain critics then that would write that. And then when I would go in and read their, their review, it came down to, yeah, this was good, and this guy was good, and this 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 was good. And I'm going through, okay, yeah, but why do you hate this movie, this, this show so much? And it comes down to it. They just really hate Mel Gibson. And listen, that's okay. Every, you're allowed, certainly Mel Gibson has done enough stuff that if you don't like Mel Gibson, you're justified to not like Mel Gibson. If you do, great. If you don't, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But when you're a film critic and then you're, you're going to evaluate a show based on the fact that there's just a guy who happens to be in it and you don't like that guy, then what are you doing? You're not reviewing the show anymore. Now you're just reporting your own anti-Mel Gibson agenda. Now you can say to me, but John, like, what if that, that just Mel Gibson being there really, really took them out of the show? Then fucking recuse yourself from reviewing it. I had a real problem with Chris Brown because, you know, he punched a woman so many times in the face that put her in the hospital and the pictures came out and her face looked like a side of beet beef. And he had another, he had some little like world's greatest or some little dance movie coming out after that. I could have reviewed that movie and then said, this movie, shit, but I didn't. I just knew I wouldn't be able to objectively review the film, so I just didn't watch it and I didn't review it. Never said anything good about the movie, never said anything bad about the movie. I'm not saying I handled the situation right or wrong. I'm just saying, hey, if there's something that is going to clearly bother you so much that you're not going to be able to just watch a movie or a TV show for what it is and then evaluate it for what it is, then don't be a film critic or don't review that one thing. Do what judges should do when there's a conflict of interest. Recuse yourself. Just let somebody else review that one. I bring that up because of a review that I read of Dune 2. Now, granted, I love Dune 2, and this is about somebody talking crap on Dune 2, but believe me when I tell you this has nothing to do with the fact that it's Dune 2 or they're talking crap on this. It's just this same piece of behavior. Because on CNN, they had somebody bring in, they had somebody write this thing. We can bring this up, Jonathan. Um, a person by the name of Noah Berlatsky. Now, let me be very clear. I don't know Noah. For all I know, if I, if I knew and recognized Noah and read all their other stuff, they might be my favorite film critic. I am not trying to pick on Noah. This isn't about Noah. This is something, a habit that I see a lot of people do. I myself have been guilty of it. So please understand I'm talking about a trend here. I'm not talking about this individual who could be fantastic and wonderful, and I'm not saying anything negative about them, okay? I'm just talking about a trend that I see. And in this 
opinion piece of Dune, how it falls into a familiar and telling trap. You go on reading and you understand Noah is upset. I'm not going to even call them by their names. You say the critic is upset. The writer is upset. That Dune 2 wasn't what it should have been. Dune 2, if you read the article, should have been had a strong anti-colonization message told from the point of view of those who are colonized, not the colonizers. Now, there's, there's, there's a nobility to that sentiment, for sure. I'm not going to argue that. But that's not what Dune is. Dune is the story of Paul Atreides, at least a part of the Dune story, is a story of Paul Atreides and the tragedy that happens to his family and what, he, how, what happens for him ascending to, to uh, the heights that he ascends to. And as I read more and more, I say, you know, they really missed the boat on this because they should have done this and they should have done this and it should have been a message about this. And here's the thing. This is what it boils down to. When you're a film critic, it's not your fucking job and it's not my job to say what that movie should have been about. If all you're going into a movie, and this is true of film fans as well, it's not just confined to critics, but I expect more from critics. This is true of all of us as film fans as well. If you're only going into a movie and you've predetermined what this movie should be about, I want to hear a message that I already agree with. That's what I'm going into this movie for. I want to hear a message of something that I believe and I think, and if you do it, great, and if you don't, then that's you've done something wrong. Then you're not reviewing movies anymore. At, at that point, it's not art. You're supposed to go and, and take in a piece of art, whether it's a painting, a piece of music, a, a film, whatever, and, and pieces of art are just prisms. And we're looking at certain things that happen, the events that happen in these stories through a prism, right? And they're not meant to dictate to us a particular message. They're there to just tell a story. And then we glean out of that. One of the things I always go back to, Clint Eastwood, a bunch of years ago, made the fabulous movie Million Dollar Baby, right? And you've probably heard me bring this up before. Now, in the movie, Clint Eastwood's character is faced with a very difficult decision at the end. This His young protege is going to be paralyzed for life. And she wants to kill herself because she doesn't want to live as a paralyzed person. And he's got to decide if he's going to help her kill herself or convince her that there's still something to live for. And the character, not Clint Eastwood, the character decides that what's best is to help her kill herself. Clint Eastwood was not making a movie to say to give a message of Darwinism, folks, survival of the fittest. All them wheelie riders, they should be put to sleep because they're a drag on our society. That's what some people said Clint Eastwood was saying. But Clint Eastwood wasn't saying anything. He was telling us the story of this guy, and this is what this guy did. Now it's up to us as an audience to experience that and then come away with it with whatever we come away with. Whether it's like that guy was in so much pain, he made the wrong decision. Or that guy was in so much pain and helped him make the pain, helped him make the right decision. I mean, it's up to you. But if you're going to go into a movie with a predetermined notion that this is the message this movie better have, then you're not looking for art. You're looking for product. 
Art is about an artist presenting to us the perspective of themselves or a fictitious character that they create. And we look at a world, whether it's a real one, a fictitious one, whatever, and we look at that world through that prism and then we take something out of that with us. It's not supposed to be going into it's like, well, I'll watch this movie, but if, only if it talks about how the Toronto Maple Leafs are the greatest team that God ever created. Well, that's stupid. That's stupid. You're not actually reviewing films anymore. And, and listen, I'll tell you what, it is just as bad to me as these half-brained fucktwits who are like, there's a black person in this. Like, it's, it's, it's the same principle. If you're only going into movies and you're already describing to it what it has, it better say this and it better do this, then you're not actually a film fan. You're not. And you certainly shouldn't be a film critic. Talk about... The things that the decisions that characters make that you disagree with. Oh, in the movie, this happens, and it it really burned me inside. Like I, when the villain did this, I really felt this burning inside because of blah blah. And that's the type of thing art should do. And that's the type of stuff that Roger Ebert, Leonard Moulton, some of the greats were always great at doing. Expressing how this made me feel inspired and this made me feel sad and this made me angry and this made me this. That's Art is supposed to be and movies are supposed to be an experiential event. And the moment that we get film reviews like this that are just like, I think they should have done this. Then you're not looking for art. You're looking for a plastic apple to put on your counter. You're, not, you're looking for a product. You're not looking for art. Every piece of art ever made comes with a perspective and comes with a point of view, comes sometimes with a message, sometimes not. But it's not about whether it's the point of view or the message that we agree with or the one that we think they should do. It's about it's supposed to make us feel something. And then we can draw morals from that depending on our own perspectives. But anyway, uh, I, I just saw that again and it just, it burns me when I see this sort of thing. And, I, and I'm seeing people from both sides of like the political aisle do it. They're doing it in different ways. But it's really frustrating to me as a film fan. Let artists make their art. Let studios make movies. And then let's, let's, let's feel how we feel about it. There's a, there's a moment in Reacher, season two, for those of you who've watched it, and a lot of you have, where Reacher and his team have a bad guy dead to rights. He's unarmed. Um, he's been the mastermind behind, behind a whole lot of stuff. He's unarmed. They've got him in a living room. They've all got their guns on him and all that kind of stuff. And instead of getting him arrested and calling the police to arrest him, they decide to summarily execute him. No trial, no nothing. Reacher and his team decide to shoot and kill the unarmed, helpless bad guy and execute him. Do I believe in real life that's how criminals should be treated? I, I don't know. I guess it depends on the situation, but in general, no. I feel pretty safe saying in general, no. So what am I going to do? Say, well, Reacher did the wrong thing. Yeah, I can talk about or think about how Reacher and his team did something morally gray, and we can talk about and discuss it. Did they do the right thing? Did they do the wrong thing? But the message of Reacher is not find anybody who's pickpocketing and shoot him in the face. That's not the message of Reacher. 
It's just we are watching stories about characters and decisions that they make. And we need to take out of that what we take out of that. It's not a manifesto by a filmmaker saying, hey, Clint Eastwood wasn't saying, put to sleep anybody who's handicapped. It's not like the creator of Reacher saying, eh, just any criminal should be shot in the face. It's, it's, it's not that. We're just seeing decisions being made by human characters in stories, and we're supposed to take out of what we will. Anyway, I, I've gone on long enough about that, but just to say this is really one of the big frustrating things to me about film criticism, a, a, an area, Chris, that I love. I love film criticism. I love reading film critics, the ones I agree with, the ones I disagree with, whatever. I, I just love it, and I hate this pattern. So I, I don't know. I just throw it over to you. Your thoughts on the whole thing, or, or there have been situations where you've recognized that or where you've seen this come into play. How do you feel about it? It's very um, film school. What would have been more interesting? It's very Gordon Ramsay. What would I have done differently? Well, let me see. Um, and I think there's a time and a place for that conversation. And I understand it because I definitely have that knee jerk reaction to certain films too, where, wow, it would have been more interesting if we dove into this concept that they lightly brought up. Oh, we really glossed over this thing that is very intrinsically important in the novelization versus the film. So I think there's a way to do it. I think if your entire approach is, let me send you my spec script for what I would have done for this thing. You're missing the mark. I do think, though, that there is absolute relevance to those conversations, though, of, hey, you know what could have made this film bold? Or you know what could have made this film go from good to great? Is if we had a real conversation about this kind of thing. If it is done for the sake of just poking holes in something, or if it is done because you have your own agenda of what you think films should do, I encourage you then to go from being a critic to being a filmmaker. Right. That's usually what how yeah. I approach yeah. it. But I definitely am one of these people who all see a movie. Um, you guys know this about Joker, you know, where it was, I would have really liked if we had delved more into specific mental health, specific issues of poverty, specific issues of welfare uh, welfare issues in class, um, systemic um, industrialized issues too about, you know, the haves and the have nots that Gotham started to build up as opposed to, in my opinion, some of the more surface takes on those, Right. That's not to say I'm going to go, well, Todd, baby, listen to me about my script instead, you know? Um, and if I feel that way and I feel strongly about that, I should use my time, talents, et cetera, to try to make a script that says those things as opposed to demanding it from other people. Um, I say that fully as somebody who critiques film. Um, and I know that my opinions are not always everyone else's. You guys disagree with me all the time. We all disagree in this room. Um, but it is odd to take a film and look at it not for its its own merit and the sum of its parts, but for the ideologies of what it could be. Yeah. I mean, and then we were talking about this earlier, John. It's like with the Mel Gibson thing, you knew from the outset Mel Gibson was in this. Yeah. So you knew from the outset if this was a 10 out of 10 <clears throat> series you were still going to give it a, a smug zero because, oh, whoops, he's in it, and I hate him. And the same with this. You knew the perspective that Dune 2 was being, because you saw the first one, you knew where this one was continuing, and then you decided to go into the film and be like, it, but if only they had done it my way. So, bad score. I mean, to, to Chris's point, too, I think there's a really, not even a thin line, a very, very wide gap difference between saying, Hey, you know, the, the, the filmmaker was going for this. I think they would have gotten there even better if like 
this ha conversation happened in this part of the movie or this happened in this part of the movie, or maybe if they'd introduced this, you know, to kind of push forward their own story, what they're doing a little bit better might've been a little bit more effective. It's a different thing from like, say the CNN article, which is, you know, in a day to day, and this is literally in this article, in a day to day, when some filmmakers are brave enough to talk about anti-colonial movies from the perspective of the colonized, like this movie and this movie and this movie, Dune just fails and falls down. It, it had the opportunity to, to, to give a message, but that's not what the message of the movie is. The movie is nothing about that. We should have made it about that. Well, then just shut up. Like, if you want to talk about how, you know what, if they had Paul uh, say this to Stillgard instead of to them, it might have created this. I mean, that's one other thing. Like, we as film fans watch movies and we all come up with ways about how they might have made this even more effective. But to go into it and say, your movie should have been about this. Well, it is you based on a novel. talking about this, this, this message that's important to me that has nothing to do with the text and nothing to do with the movie. Yeah. Or who's in it or whatever. It's just it's just a common thing that I think. And again, I'm not trying to point any fingers because I think I myself have been guilty of this. I think all of us have been guilty of this. This is something we need to look internally at as film fans, as appreciators of the art. Um, it's just something I hope we get I, a little bit better I at. I don't understand how that perspective, too, then carries into the third. With yeah. How it, that doesn't make any yeah. sense. You clearly have not read Dune Messiah if you think that should have been the message of the movie. Because it, it, I still don't think people are going to like Dune Messiah. Anyway, guys, that's just my rambling rant on this. It's something that hit me, and I, I just really wanted to talk about it a little bit. And there, that's, uh, that's my annual Peter Griffin's Grind My Gear segment. Anyway, guys, whatever you think about that, jump into a comment section and let me know. All right, guys. With all that down, we are now going to move into the most important part of our show, which is hearing from you, your thoughts, theories, opinions, and questions. But before we do, we're going to take a quick second to thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode of the John Campbell Show podcast. Our friends, my mobile service provider, and they should be yours, Mint Mobile and The Perfect Gene. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. On average, it takes about 30 days for a person to break their New Year's resolution. So if saving money was on your 2024 list, your odds aren't looking that great. Luckily, I have a 100% guaranteed way to save you money this year. Just switch to Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. I've told you guys many times that after switching to Mint Mobile, I am spending less than a third on my cell bill than I used to with a major carrier. Say goodbye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. All Mint plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And don't worry about having to change phones or numbers. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So guys, to get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash that's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bills to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, The Perfect Jean. Guys, are you tired of the rough and rigid jeans crushing your boys? Well, today's sponsor, The Perfect Jean, finally solved all of your denim difficulties. They make great-looking, perfect-fitting jeans that are as comfortable as sweatpants. The secret? A special denim fabric that is super soft and has the perfect amount of stretch so you can squat, do yoga, or just sit around all day without ever having to take them off. I'm going to admit I was a little bit skeptical because, to me, jeans have always been jeans. They're 
practical, but not always the most comfortable. But I'm telling you guys, it's not an exaggeration. Once I put on these jeans, the perfect jean redefined what jeans can be to me. They're the perfect fit. They stretch, they breathe. And again, they're just insanely comfortable. So guys, it's finally time to stop crushing your balls in uncomfortable jeans by going to theperfectgene.nyc slash campia15. Our listeners get 15% off your first order plus free shipping. Free returns and free exchanges when you use code campia15 at checkout. Again, that's 15% off for new customers at theperfectgene.nyc slash campia15 and use the code campia15. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support the John Campus Show and tell them we sent you. And thank you to our friends at Mint Mobile and The Perfect Gene for sponsoring today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast. All right, guys, that down. Let's get over to the important part, your questions. So let's get over there, shall we? Chris, what do we got first? All oh, right. Uh, from Oh, thank you. Damaris Love. Giovanni Campia, thank you so much for getting me hyped for Shogun. The first two episodes were excellent. Uh, were the excellence of exec... Execution. execution. That's a wrestling term. You should oh, okay. know that. The excellence of execution. I don't know that at all. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I've been hearing from some people this morning that Shogun is off to a great start, which just has me foaming at the mouth. I did, have not had a chance to watch it yet. My entire evening is going to be dedicated to just watching a lot of TV tonight. I already warned Anne in advance. A lot of TV watching tonight. Probably going to order in dinner. Uh, and I'm going to start off with Shogun. That's for sure. Thanks for your thoughts, man. All right, what's next? From Justin Welsh. Hey, crew. Looking forward to my viewing of Dune 2 on Thursday. Denis V is the best thing to come out of Quebec since poutine. Not my quote. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Of course, Denis Villeneuve is French-Canadian from the province of uh, Quebec. Um, Yeah, listen, I... Again, I'm not saying Dune 2 is a perfect movie. I'm just saying it's as perfect of a movie I've seen in years. It is the representation... Again, every three or four years, a movie comes out that kind of becomes the reputation or a a, a representation of how great movies can be. And that's just how I felt about it. And I cannot wait to go back and watch it again on Thursday. All right. What's next? From Ethan Holgate, Doug Lyman has just posted saying a cowboy hat makes you feel like nothing can hurt you. Not even Amazon trying to pit Jake and I against each other. You know, Chris, you said something that's very, very true uh, when we were talking about the Doug Lyman situation, which is we don't know everything yet, right? We heard Doug Lyman's perspective. Then we heard through one of the major outlets, kind of the studio's perspective. Now we're hearing from Jake Gyllenhaal's perspective. and But there's probably, you know, it's the tip of the iceberg. You see an iceberg, you're only seeing one-tenth of it. The rest of it is buried on the water. And we probably don't know all of it, but... Now he's accusing Jake Gyllenhaal of just saying that because Amazon told him to say it. Is that what he's accusing Jake Gyllenhaal of? I don't know that Doug is doing himself any favors here. I think Doug should just get back on message. I just believe this is a film that deserves to be in theaters. And I think Amazon will profit more from it if it's in theaters. And just stay on that. Now you're just making this into some grade school social media spat. Uh, It's just stupid. It's just stupid. Doug, stop. Just just stop. Don't I'm not even telling you to come out and admit you're wrong. I'm just saying stay on message. Like don't don't get into this. Anyway, what's next? From Bright, no spoilers. Uh is holy shit, the black sun scenes are amazing. Oh yeah. Paul talking to the fi- uh Freeman near the end gave me goosebumps. Give Denis whatever he wants. 
Yeah, there, there is, uh, without giving anything away, because you see in the trailers just some stuff that's black and white. The idea of that is that on the Harkonnen homeworld, they have a black sun. And that means when you're outside, the black sun does not allow any color spectrum to be seen by the eye. So everything looks black and white when you're outside. But once they go inside then everything's in color again. It was a, It's a crazy, beautiful visual choice they make that I thought was really, really effective. All right, what's next? From Matan Valensky, Hallelujah, Sean Bailey is out as head of Disney live action, finally. Searchlight's David Greenbaum being the new head means that either no more live action demakes. Or remakes, means probably. That no um, listen, Sean Bailey has been an extremely effective studio head for Disney live action studios. It's not just Marvel and Star Wars that made billion dollar films. He made a lot of big successful films. And while Disney has had a couple of live action remakes that have sputtered for sure, um, Maleficent one and two, as an example, they've made some crazy successful stuff all at the same time. Uh, Aladdin, the live action remake of Aladdin is fucking awesome. It's an awesome movie and made over a billion dollars at the box office. The 3D animated Lionsgate or uh, Lion King movie is the biggest box office film, uh, animated film of all time. Uh, I didn't think it was as good as the original animated one, but but I thought it was pretty damn good and it made the most money of any animated film in history. He has done a lot of great stuff. They've made a lot of great films under his uh, leadership there. And him leaving is, I'm sorry, but I think you are misled if you think him leaving is a good thing. Um, Of course, they made some stinkers. Not everything they've done there has been great. Absolutely. But he has been a solid. I remember once Kevin Feige talking about him. Like, He has been a solid guiding hand for Disney live action pictures. Because uh, remember, we're not talking about, he wasn't the head of Marvel, like Disney live action studios. Disney Studios proper was its own division. Uh, Lucasfilm is its own division. Marvel is its own division. Uh, Disney Animation is its own division. Pixar is its own division, all that kind of stuff. He was a very, very good, competent, successful division head. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think, now listen, I, I wish him well. And maybe the person from Searchlight who's coming over to head up the division now will do great things. Awesome, but uh, it, it's it's not a good thing that this guy is leaving. Uh, not at all. Anyway, what's next? From Brandon, OMG, John! First two episodes of Shogun came out last night. This show was literally <sighs> Game of Thrones with samurai. Absolutely fantastic so far. I didn't know it came out last night. I I, I would I thought it came out today. Anyway, yeah, I'm. <laughs> I just I really want to go home and watch this. I really, really want to go home and watch them. I'm, I'm like, you guys already know how psyched I've been, and now you're just getting more psyched. So, ah, all right. What's next? From Kevin. Oh, sorry. From Gopalo01. Ain't no way Katara and Aang are falling in love in the Netflix version. Aang looks like a baby next to Katara. It'd be too weird. Well, in the animated series, they also did have a, a substantial age difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, the animated thing, they clearly did not look like they should be dating. But remember, they don't hook up until they get a little bit older, right? And and in the show, what's what? There's a three-year age difference between them? I think 
he's three or four, something three. like that. Well, I mean, technically, well, Aang is 110. Little, yeah, when you're 12 versus when you're 15, you is a big difference, different. right? I don't know. They're kids. It's like when you're a freshman and you're dating a junior. I don't know. Yeah. It should be fine. <laughs> what? I'm saying. I don't even want to know what's in the thoughts. That's, that's the last thing I was worrying about watching this series. <laughs> I, did, I mean, I saw something there, but I was like, I, just the lore of the whole thing. I, like I said, Avatar is my first exposure to this. I, I saw the uh, Shyamalan M. Night movie, but I didn't oh, no. watch any of the animation. This is my first real exposure to it, so and I, I yeah, you I and Ryan like said you were liking it, right? Yeah, yeah, I definitely like it. Prince Zuku, all the way, baby. Yeah, he's great. He's great. I love all it. right, what's next? From Kevin Fraser, hey John, in New York City, Dune two sold out every day at our only true IMAX location, Lincoln Square, until March eighteenth. Seems to be billion dollar possibility. Mm, question no, that's we, one we, spot though. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like selling out the IMAX. Well, that's great. That's one theater. Like. There's an IMAX in our local theater, too. But the question is, are the six other theaters is playing in in that building selling out? That's great for the IMAX in the one screen, but that ain't going to get you to a billion dollars. Um, look, I've been on record. I don't think Dune 2 is going to be a billion dollar film. I hope it is. I hope it is. But it's just... It's not a film that's going to be for everybody. It doesn't have the popcorn appeal that like a Star Wars does. It's told from the wrong perspective. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, clearly told from the com wrong message in the movie. Lost opportunity to tell from the right message. I I don't think it'll be a billion dollar film, but man, I I deserves to be. I hope it is. I mean, if Oppenheimer can get close, why couldn't Dune two? We'll see. We'll see. I, I'm not. I'm expecting Dune two to come in around six hundred to seven hundred million dollars. When it's all, that's where I'm guessing. So, but if it can do more than that, gravy, man, gravy. All right, what's next? From Mr. I. Mr. I. Mr. I. Happy belated birthday, John. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, by the way, somebody's saying Avatar got $2 billion from IMAX. No, it did not. Avatar. No, it, it absolutely did not. All right, what's next? <laughs> from James Wheeler. Hello, everyone. Jonathan, because you mentioned Casablanca yesterday, I watched it again last night. Oh, good. It's so good. I love the uh, Marseille scene. scene. Yeah, man. I remember it well. You wore blue. The Germans wore gray. <laughs> it's such a classic you know what I remember I thought about two years ago about us starting a series of just the old classics oh. and kind of making it like a book club Sorry, because uh, you know how we were doing movie club for a while doing these great older movies like movies that were over 10 years old and revisiting them kind of gives to give the audience an opportunity to say hey next week our movie club movie is going to be about this so giving everybody a chance that week to get caught up and go watch it. And I thought about doing that with like the old classics, whether it was like a Casablanca or whether it's like a Lawrence of Arabia or a Ben-Hur or, or, or 12 Angry Men or, you know, something along those lines. Uh, I didn't ultimately end up doing it, but oh man, it's tempting to do that. I don't have the time for it, unfortunately. All right, what's next? Uh, oh, let me start. There you From go. Harv's K, Netflix's Avatar definitely has room for improvement. But John, you'll be happy to know Zuko and Uncle Iroh are the beating heart of this version. Easily the best element of the show. Yeah, I'm hearing from more and more people that it's that is good. So, I get. Have you been watching it yet, Chris? I'm about three or four episodes in, I believe. I'm still only one episode in. I Zuko right now for me is a little too whiny and not hot headed enough. Oh. 
right now it's a lot of like, it's not fair. I want the Avatar. Um. I, I will say the reason why I like him so much is mm -hmm. he looks exactly like one of my cousins. And that's why I have my what, cousin. Lucky? You no, like Jim Zuko. Oh, okay. He looks, he reminds me of him so much that I just can't not, not like that guy. Whatever he does, I'm like, that's my cousin up there. That's, that's he, my cousin. But uh, Sokka, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but oh, go no ahead. no worries, no worries. But, I like Sokka a lot. I think Sokka, you messaged me about it. Like, yeah. he's well, great. Well, I messaged John, He too. actually and might he, be better in this show than I, he was in the animated he's show. He's great. Yeah. The changes like, they've made to him have been delightful. His little quips, his little one-liners, his little, like, side comments, sneers. It just cracks me up. It's because he's the only one that doesn't do anything, right? He, he, he doesn't bend or do anything. No, he's he not doesn't a bend. bend, but wait a minute. He, he's going to have a cool character. He bends? I said he doesn't bend. Oh, yeah. I was yeah saying, he's like the normal out of the yeah. group. Yeah, he's a normal dude. That's why I like him so much. Because he's there. He's he there. Gets, he doesn't have to be there. He knows he's not going to match up to a lot All right, of we need to move on. We could talk about Avatar all day. All right, Danny Zuko. All, all right, right, what's next? <laughs> Oh, and James Wheeler, thank you for that $20 super chat. That's oh, wonderful. thank you, James. Appreciate that, man. From Sam Fisher, do you think Sam Mendes will film those four interconnected Beatles biopics all at once? I don't think so. I, I don't think that that's practical. Um, not to mention, I mean, it all depends on what their, their future plans are for it. But I, I just even think from a practical point of view, it'd be a lot easier to do it one at a time. I mean, he might flow, like, immediately go into the next one and immediately go into the next one. But, like... I'm going to be shooting this scene from this movie today, and tomorrow we're going to shoot scenes 16 and 17 from the third movie, and then the day after that we're going to shoot scene 7 from the second movie. I don't think they're going to do it like that, but probably concurrently. Like, probably, or sorry, uh, sequentially they'll do that, but I, I think one at a time. But I don't know for sure, but that would be my guess. All right, what's next? Not that I have any interest in it because I don't care about the Beatles. All right, what's next? From the Jenna Bide, sending in a $20 super chat. Thank you, Jen. Hi, John. You're going to love Shogun. I saw the first episode, and it's incredible. I love how they give the female characters agency, and I can't wait to watch the rest of this series. I'm so excited for this. It's so good. I'm watching it right now. <laughs> hey, Grace. Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, sorry. Are we doing a show? Are we live right now? I, I just, I can't wait. First of all, I loved this girl in Monarch. I thought she was great in Monarch, so I was really excited to see that she's the one who's going to be in there. Sonata, of course, whenever, as Robert Meyer Burnett would say, whenever Sonata shows up, it classes up the joint. I mean, he just, it elevates. Like, he pops up in a John Wick, boom, it's instantly better, right? Um, so, yeah, I just, I cannot wait to start watching this thing later today. All right, what's next? From Fan 2 it's been five years since Beatles I watched fans. last watched uh, Walking Dead, but it warmed my cold heart seeing Rick again in The Ones Who Live. Yeah, I mean, look, I get, <laughs> I get that for people who continued watching Walking Dead and are big Walking Dead fans. Absolutely. I loved the Rick character when I watched the show. I, I just I just got over the show after four or five seasons. I can't remember. I mean, I, I thought it was a great show, but I just... I tapped out. That's all. I, I just ultimately tapped out, and I, I don't care where Daryl goes, and I don't care if Negan's a good guy now, and I don't care if Rick comes back. I just, I can't get excited about it. But for those who are, like, still, like, really following The Walking Dead, and you watch, you know, Fear the Walking Dead, and you watch Buy Ice Cream for The Walking Dead, and you watch The Life of the mega housewives of the walking dead. I don't care whatever walking dead. If you're following that, I'm super thrilled that they're bringing Rick back. Cause he was the best character they always had. All right. What's next 
from Mr. Godzilla sending in a $20 super chat. Thank you, Mr. Godzilla. Hey, John wanted to ask, I know people are saying Dune Part 2, quote, raises the standards of sci-fi. And while I get that, isn't that unfair to certain sci-fi films? As the sci-fi of, say, Jurassic Park is very different than Dune? No, it's complete. Because sci-fi... First of all, Jurassic Park is not science fiction. Anything that's fantasy or anything that's beyond the realm of real is not by nature and automatically science fiction. Science fiction is also a style of, of telling stories, right? And Rob, Rob describes this better than I do. But, you know, Jurassic Park is not science fiction. It's not verisimilitude. It's not rooted in reality, but that doesn't make it science fiction. There are elements of science fiction to it. And what proper and real sci-fi is and what Dune 2 does, it truly elevates it. And you can't say that's not fair to other movies. Sure it is. Now it's up to all the other sci-fi movies to, to raise themselves and get better. We need movies to continuously come out that are better than what came before to raise the bar. And we've seen that happen throughout film history. And it always does. Star Wars was one of those things. Godfather was one of those moments. Annie Hall was one of those moments. Um, I think Dune 2 is one of those moments. It's not unfair to that what came before it, because guess what? In 10, 15, 20 years, there's going to be a new movie that comes out that will raise the bar again. That's not being unfair to Dune 2. That's just what life is. That, that's the way it should be. And I think that's what Dune is right now. I think this is Dune 2's moment. And again, Oppenheimer should thank the movie gods that Dune 2 moved to 2024 so it's not eligible for this year's Oscars because this wouldn't even be close. Like There wouldn't even be discussions. It's, it's, it wouldn't be, does Dune 2 win Best Picture? It's by how many, does it, does it win by shutout? Does it win 100% of the votes? Anyway, that's just kind of my take. All right, what's next? Your take that's From, wrong. Uh, <laughs> John Lee. WB, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery stock is down 65% since the merger and down 25% uh, yesterday to 8.6 today. I think another company is going to have to buy or merge with WBD. Hope it survives. A company's health is not always defined by the stock price, right? Stock prices go up and down every day and, and they're moved by certain things. The principles, like Deadline just did a really good article on what about why Warner Brothers right now is in a much healthier position and why they're moved into a position where they're now they're looking to acquire stuff as opposed to survival. Um, Warner Brothers will be fine. I'm not so sure about Paramount, but Warner Brothers will be fine. They have operating cash. To they move they have. That's the thing, right? That's the thing. There and it's, it's. I mean, yes, there are indicators, but too many people think that this indicator, like, hey, if the stock price goes up. Okay, that's that's a, that's a good thing. That's a good thing, but it's not the thing. If the stock price goes down, well, that's a negative thing. It's a negative thing, but it's not the be-all, end-all. Um, the fundamentals of where they're at right now is just stronger than where they were at like one year ago, two years ago, all that kind of stuff. So it's, and again, like I always tell everybody, when a major leadership change happens, whether it's at Disney, whether it's a studio head, whatever, you are years away from seeing the actual results of it. And uh, we're starting to get into that now, but Warner Brothers is going to be fine. All right, what's next? From uh, Chef Rigo. Chef Rigo. Went to Rooftop Cinema on Sunday. <laughs> nice. Downtown LA. And it was a really cool experience. Yeah. Highly recommend going. Oh, it's yeah. fun. I The first time I went to the Rooftop Theater, 
Because it's at the top of the Montauban, isn't it? Isn't that where they do it? Uh, they've it's done it. Times there. They've done they've it done there, but then places. they also do it in downtown also. Okay. Yeah. So the first time I ever went to the rooftop theater uh, was they did a screening of the original Ghostbusters. That was really oh, fun. fun. The rooftop. If you live anywhere around the LA area, look up the rooftop theater experience. If you have a chance to go do it, I'm glad, Rigo, yeah. you did that. If you get a chance to do it, I highly recommend it. It's a really fun experience. Also, Rigo, I'd recommend uh, this when the summer comes around, go to the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Mm -hmm. uh, the yeah, yeah. Really fun. Those are great. Street yep, food That was really cool, one. too. Yep, street food That's cinema. That's really good, too. All right, what's next? From uh, Manasse Nereo. Sorry if I said your name wrong. Hey, John, here's a challenge. One movie has to go. Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, or Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, only one has... I thought you were going to say only... You can only save one. Um, only one has to go. Green one. Mile. Green Mile goes. I would say that too, even though I love the film. But yeah, when it's movie's great. That, yeah, it, the movie's fantastic. But it, it, it's on that particular list, that's the easy one. I yeah. love the Green Mile. Michael Clark Duncan, take my hand, boss. Oh God, I love Michael. I miss Michael Michael Clark Duncan so much. But I mean, yeah, on that list, no question, it's Green Mile. All right, what's next? From Amin, most theaters around me are almost full for Dune showings. With the reactions and everything, I'm better betting the film makes over a hundred million opening weekend. Could be, it could. The question is going to be, in terms of its long-term success, is does it have legs, or is it just that everybody who's excited about Dune just sees it opening weekend and that's where it ends, right? So I, I think you're right. I mean, I didn't. I was thinking like eighty million for opening weekend for Dune, which I still think would be great for it. But over 100 million could become a possibility because I was looking at the seat when Ann and I were looking at seating charts to go and see it again on Thursday. The pickings were slim. It was slimmer pickings. So I, I hope it can be over 100 million opening weekend. All right, what's next? From Fub Artistry, I can only watch Sling Blade on physical media now. Mm -hmm. Really? Is it not available any other way? I like, don't know. I mean, not many people are rushing out to see Sling Blade. Great movie, but it's not like. You know, people are rushing out. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Okay. What's next? Jeez. From oh, James Germain. Hi, why don't they have Academy Awards for voice acting? Yeah, Chris. Oh, well, we'll fight about this because I think they should. You just won. Really? Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Because oh, no, acting. don't start this. Okay, because go ahead. Go ahead. Fundamentally different. Difficult. It's a different medium that is incredibly hard to work in. That would kind of make, okay, here's my one argument for it. Okay. Um, because we are passionate about like animated features getting best animated, but then we don't give anything like to best actor in an animated role. Yeah. Or actress or mm -hmm. whatever. So, yeah. Which I understand there's different things that we're lauding in both of those things. However, and we're never going to have this in there until our own unions <laughs> actually start taking us seriously because a super fun thing that SAG likes to do is talk about how this is a great way to make money on the side or do things like that. Like it's so goddamn easy. Yeah. Um, you have some actor influencers change. who constantly talk about how they are doing tons of acting work, but they're bothered by when they get voiceover jobs, even though it pays into their SAG pension. I could go on and on. This is something that Dang. does grind my gears and I'd get very Peter Griffin about it. It's like you could drive Uber or just go get a voice oh, acting yeah, gig. yeah. They're just so yeah. interchangeable. Yeah. Here, here's my argument against it. Mm. it. It's the same argument I have against um, some. The, we used to have this debate about should motion capture artists have an Academy Award category. And here's my argument yes. against it. And it's not to diminish the importance of it, mm. but it's this. 
in the best director category, you have a field, an eligible field of around 2,000 eligible things that year. For best actress, you have about two, three, four, five, six thousand eligible actresses. That's the field. That's the competition. I don't think there is simply for major motion picture releases that have voiceover actors. I don't think there's a big enough field yet to justify its own category at the Oscars yet. That's I feel the same way about motion capture artists, that the field is simply not big enough yet every year because it's... You can't look at it equally that somebody who won out of 9,000 competitors winning the trophy, that that trophy should have the equivalence to somebody who won out of a field of 15. Not that I'm just, I'm just using, I'm just using hyperbole to make a point. Um, so I think that we can get to that point. And I think as animation in theatrical releases and whether it's 3D animation, other kind of stuff has more primacy in the future as motion capture becomes a more adopted and a more used thing in the future. I see that becoming a thing, but right now I just think the field, not that the field isn't important enough, just that the field is too small right now to make it its own Oscar so, category. So you're not against it. No, no, I, I, no, I just, well, I yeah, just think see, we need to see the field get yeah, bigger okay. first I, I totally before get that. it gets it. That that's, that's my only Thing at the way again, same way I feel about motion capture, and you know I love mm-hmm. motion capture. So I'm so I'm right, but with a timeline. Yes, cool. I will say that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would, yes, yes, I would I'll say we're that. just not there yeah. yet. You're not wrong, Chris. Not you're just there. early. I'm just early. Yeah, you're just yet. Way too early. See, it's different for for when I say that I don't think that the Oscars should make um, stunt a category because the Oscar voters can't be there on set to see it. The Oscar voters don't know what it is, like what part they was They see the done. finished product they at the post. Like with everything else, with the, the all the Oscar voters can actually see, tangibly interact with what it is they're voting on. And stunt work, they just don't know because they, they're not there on set. They don't know. Right. That's different. Mm. I think like animate, like motion capture, voice work, I think that is all something that can come. I just don't think we're there yet. That's yeah. fair. Also, Great. you mentioned the unions. So does that mean then SAG probably doesn't even recognize that. I mean, yet. we don't get that at the SAG Awards. So like it, that's oh, what I'm saying. Oh, the SAGs the, don't recognize SAG it either. SAG doesn't yeah. award for voice acting. So it should, the, the next do. step should be the SAG Awards. Yeah, Emmys do. But SAG the Emmys recognize I didn't know that. Emmys does it, but SAG doesn't. Golden Globes don't. And all these other ones don't. Jeez. And so I feel like we need to have SAG after first start recognizing right. this. Because, I mean, daytime Emmys, uh, all these Emmys for a children's program, for animated series, all of that, it's tremendously profound work like the stuff that will arnett was able to do on bojack horseman is really incredible and i think a lesser actor wouldn't have been able to handle it so See, and i think the emmys it makes more sense because there's a lot more animation there's so much television on television sure. as opposed to theatrical yeah, yeah i get that okay Dang. that's a really good discussion to have actually i think that's really interesting the sag doesn't have that at this point it makes me mad all right what's <laughs> next like from Scott. That's, why, that's, that's why they don't really take me seriously, Rigel. Oh, yeah, Stag, I'm pretty crushed with it, you. It's terrifying because it's like, uh, I know what the fury behind that. That's true. Logan right. calls it the voice of death when I'm like, we will talk about this. <laughs> All right. From James, uh, from Scott. Regarding expensive things, ooh, at silent auction, I won an original TMNT 1991 script, nice. one of four remaining, ooh. and less than that Gucci bag. Got <laughs> better than Gucci bag. I still can't. <laughs> I still can't believe how expensive that Gucci bag was. I mean, that's just crazy to me. The one thing, look, I I don't spend a lot of money on on. You might be surprised to hear this. I'm actually very very good with my money. I I don't spend on lavish things. Uh, a lot of people ask John, you love hot toys. I do. Why don't you have any more than four? 
because they're almost $300 a piece. I, I can't, I can't do that. But the one thing I, I there are, there's two things. I bought this. Oh. I, I bought cause sons of anarchy is one of my top two all time favorite shows in history. And when Anna and I walked into a place and saw that they actually had a vest. Now this, the vest itself, the, the cut wasn't used. You didn't, you never saw it on the show. It was one of the vests they used in their sizings for the, the people who would be extras in the shows. And it has a different color scheme. You can see that they put a slightly different color scheme on it. But when I saw this vest that was used for the production on the show, just not on screen, and it had Ron Perlman's autograph, Clay, and it had uh, Jax's autograph on it, and it had Ope's my favorite character, and it had Juice's autograph on it, and they actually showed me the images of them autographing the thing that they gave me all the stuff. I was like, my wife was, my wife is great because I'm like, oh, it's it's like, it was like a, over a $1,000. And Anne was just like, you never let yourself have any of this stuff. And this is like your favorite show ever. It's actually my second favorite show, but Anne was like, this is like your favorite show ever. You never buy yourself this stuff. You need to have this. And I was like, yeah, I need to have this. Enabler. And, and <laughs> yeah, enabler. an enabler. You push her. And I'm like, I, 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 I got to have this. I, I really do. This thing is, is precious to me. And then I got to wear it when I went to go meet the guys a couple of weeks ago. I got to meet the, a bunch of the guys from it, including Charlie Hunnam and Ron, Ron Perlman, stuff like that. And they, they, they knew the vest because they, they went through this big thing where they signed it. But uh, that's the only thing. I've, I've ever done. I, I just, I've, I've, I've come close to getting an autographed game worn Tom Brady helmet, but I couldn't justify dropping $7,000 for that. I just oh, couldn't, I, I couldn't, I couldn't afford that. I yeah. couldn't do it. I thought about mortgaging everything, but no, nah, I decided not to do it. Like I spend very, very little money. I spend very little money. Just get some voice acting gigs and just pay it's for so it. Easy. Yeah, just, it's, yeah, that's right. It's simple stuff. I mean, that's why, listen, you may, somebody made a comment. <laughs> somebody made a comment not too long ago. They wrote in and said, I could be wrong, but I've been following John since the AMC days, which I guess I started AMC like eight, nine, 10 years ago. And I think the shirt he wore on the John Campus show today might've been a same, um, was, <laughs> oh, that it was a creep, creep by econ. That's where I was. I was at that thing. Um, and they said, I, I think that's a very similar shirt. Did you buy another one? I'm like, dude, <laughs> I've I've probably had this shirt before I moved to the to Los Angeles 15 years ago. It's like his Indiana ago. Jones Dang. shirt. He just wears it on every adventure. You you don't understand how much <laughs> I don't spend money. Put put it this way. If John has new clothes, most likely I, I, bought, it, I bought it for him for, for Christmas. Yeah. Or, you yep. know, I'm working on it. Every holiday where you know, I, I, I'm buying Don something. Yep. I'm going to get him some clothing. Like, Ray may come over and steal my streaming services and eat my food, yeah, but, a but half of my wardrobe that is that is less than 10 years old came from Ray. Yeah. Either Aww. because I took it from his closet or he bought it for me. <laughs> it's true. I have, I have no, I don't buy clothes. No. I don't, I have socks older than some viewers of this show. The last thing you bought was <laughs> from Timu. And TV, <laughs> yes, yes, actually it's true. The last piece of clothing I bought was yeah. from Temu, I, get, yeah. I still call it Temu for like three dollars. Top of the line, baby. Because I'm Top really cheap. <laughs> At least cheap on myself. All right, what's next? 
from Aiden Foley. I love my movie critics, but you know, some of them just never had the makings of a varsity athlete. <laughs> Good on those who got what I'm saying. I don't get it. That must be a movie reference. That must be a movie reference that's going over my head. And again, listen, you should, we, we should never determine whether we think a movie critic is a good movie critic or a bad movie critic based on whether they like the same movies I do. That's just idiotic. That's not what a good movie critic, a good movie critic is not one who just agrees and likes the movies you like and dislikes the movies you don't like. Good movie critic is somebody who just does a great job at expressing what they thought of a movie and why they thought it. I always tell, say on this show, my job is not to say the things you agree with. That's not my job. My job is not to make you feel better about the opinions you have. It's also not my job to convince you to think what I think, because that's pointless. My job, I've always said, as a film pundit, because I'm not a critic, I'm a film pundit. My job as a pundit is to express to you two things. Accurate information with context, but then to give you my opinion about it and express my opinion in such a way that it helps you, the viewer, sharpen why you agree with me or why you disagree with me. And that's the job. Like if if I give you my take on something and me expressing my take and explaining my take helps you sharpen your own understanding about why you disagree with me, I take that as a win. Like that that is that is a win for all of us. That's what good movie discussion should be. And if that happens, great. And I think the same is true. So when you're looking for good movie critics, don't just look for movie critics who share your opinion. Definitely have some movie po- critics in your pocket who have similar tastes to you. That's helpful. That's definitely helpful. But when you're looking for really great movie critics, look for the ones who have a really good talent at expressing and um, breaking down what they think and why they think it. I-, I think that's the key thing for film critics. All right, what's next? From Brand Man. John, I know you're not the biggest Beatle fan, but nope. what are your thoughts on the biopic announcement? Four <laughs> movies, same director, same release year. Did you okay. change your mind? I will, I will say this. It's a really interesting thing to do. Needs to be told from the perspective of the Rolling Stones, though, right, John? Yeah, if you made it from the Stones, I'd be way more... more <laughs> if you did it from you like two... there's no women really involved in this, <laughs> except for one problematic one. I don't love that. <laughs> I don't love that narrative. It's gotta be told from the, tell the story oh of the God, Beatles, but from course. a... Theme, you know what? Tell it from Yoko's perspective. Tell yes. the, the story of all four <laughs> Beatles from Yoko's perspective. Wow. I, I would love that, though. <laughs> yeah, I kind of um, Yeah, I, but I just don't care about the Beatles. I just don't. Not that they don't have some songs that I don't love. Of course I do. I'm just not a Beatles guy. I'm, I'm, de- I'm more of a U2 guy. From that era, I'm definitely more of a Stones guy, but that's just me, whatever. But it's certainly a really cool thing to take a director who's going to tell four individual movies about the Beatles and then make an Avengers Beatles where the four Beatles <laughs> come together. Assemble? I want to see a fifth one because who's the dude that Ringo replaced? Oh, Remember? I forget his name. Ringo wasn't the original drummer. No, oh, yeah, yeah, really? yeah. Yeah, Ringo was not the original drummer. I know that. So that th- they should do a secret fifth film about the guy <laughs> who went on to flip burgers. That would be interesting to see. All right, like what's next? The Beatles Voltron movie. Oh, people in the live chat know it's, it's Pete, Pete Best. Best. Yeah, Pete Best. There you go. Make a movie about Thanks, Pete. Guys. That's the one I'd be interested in. I want to see a movie about Pete Best and how he got <laughs> screwed 
And then what happened after that? Wait, because of that Avengers and that Voltron reference, the moon just came through here. Beatles, <laughs> come together right now. Come together. That's okay, that's cool. That, that's funny. I'll give you that. That one was funny. All right, what's From next? Amin. Oh, also, happy belated birthday, John. Did Anne buy you anything? Tell her to get you that Dune Lego ornithopter. Ornithopter. Um, or maybe Ray can get it for you. Look, 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 I was going to get Ann that for her birthday, but then when I walk into your house and I still see the Seinfeld set, just sitting in a box, I'm not going to, I'm not going to backlog her with Legos. I I have something in mind for her birthday, but yeah. That's great, Ray. We're talking about my birthday. Oh, yeah. It's already been there, done that. Um, To quote Maximus. From Gladiator, uh, what Anne did for my birthday? Should I close my ears? Is none of your business. So okay, let's move on. No, Anne, no, Anne and I did. Anne, Anne didn't buy me a gift per se. We just did some really, really fun stuff, and I, I mean that in in a clean way. We did some really, really fun stuff. Got a wave to Vegas. Got to go see my Toronto Maple Leafs play in Vegas, Almost which was saw awesome. One seven to three over the defending Stanley Cup champions. It's great, great food. Great. I almost saw you. Yep, really good stuff. All right, what's next? Uh, here. From Culture Wars Diplomacy, I admit I was turned off to Captain Marvel before I saw it, so the movie didn't change my mind. Marvel's made me like the character and Brie Larson the role when I wasn't a fan. I did like her in King Kong. <clears throat> you got to see Room. She's incredible in that. Yeah, I mean, she see won it the once, Academy then never Award see it that. again. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're right. It's 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 like a a Schindler's List. You watch it once, yeah. and you, and you never go, watch I'm it good. again. Yeah, um, she is a, a remarkable actress and. Listen, that's the thing. You know, I didn't think, to me, the Marvels was yet another subpar Marvel film. By Marvel standards, is another subpar. But I didn't think it was all that bad. Like, it wasn't Madam Web. No. Um, I actually, it's cute. Yeah, I enjoyed I the Marvels. But it wasn't, this is the thing, though. We had 15 years where, every, where it felt like every single Marvel movie that came out was great, and then the next one was great, and the next one was great. The Marvels was yet another one in this two-year window we've had that's just, oh, it was okay. That was that had some good things about it. It was all right. It was all right. I enjoyed it, and I did. I enjoyed the Marvels, but it wasn't great. It just it could have been so much better. I didn't know where you're going. It's like you're arguing with yourself. Right? <laughs> no, no, it kind of is. Yeah, it kind of is. All right, what's next? From Mighty Tank, it's been nearly five years yes, since Disney man. bought Fox. Do you think the acquisition was worth it? Obviously, they've had big successes like Avatar, but I can't help but wonder if Disney has some buyer's remorse. No, remember, like when they originally took it over, they talked about like a 15-year plan, right? We, as movie fans, we are guilty of looking for top-line stuff like, oh, Avatar the movie came out. And a lot of us think about X-Men and stuff like that. Remember, they, they even talked about how like the X-Men and getting the Fantastic Four and all that kind of stuff, that was like 1% of why they bought Fox and what they were getting and a part how they were going to integrate it into their infrastructure and all that kind of stuff. It was about underlying IP, but it was also about infrastructure. You know, I think they've always been very happy with their purchase. But here's the thing. The purchase of Fox is always going to be a laughing point for the folks over at Comcast. Because if you guys don't remember, um, 
Comcast screwed Fox or screwed Disney out of $30 billion. Oh, yeah. Because if you don't remember, Fox, they announced, or Disney announced a deal to buy Fox for, I think it was, Jonathan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was for around $40 billion, right? That was the announcement. Gonna, we're going to buy this for $40 billion, and there was joy amongst the people. <laughs> and then Comcast came along, said, we're going to fuck with them. Okay, that's and exactly. Comcast came, and Comcast knew that Disney wanted Fox badly. And I think Comcast would have liked to have had Fox as well. But Comcast came along and said, whoa, 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 hold up, time out. <laughs> we want to put in a bid. And according to, to laws, to commission laws, you got to let us put in a bid too for the interest of the shareholders. We'd like to put in a bid for um, $60 billion as they sip their tea. Well, that then put Disney in a spot and Comcast knew it. So Com so Disney, which was going to spend $40 billion Disney was going to spend $40 billion to buy Fox. All of a sudden had to come back with, what did it end up? I think it was like $75 billion? 71, I think. 70, somewhere in the 70s. Yeah. Over $70 billion. Comcast just fucked Disney out of over $30 billion just to fuck with them. Comcast had no, no... Uh, plan to actually buy. I mean, I think, listen, I think if they ultimately got it for 60 billion, they would have been happy, but they knew that Disney was going to come over the top of that. They just wanted to screw Disney out of billions more dollars. And that day they got the best of Disney. Disney 30 billion that they thought was going to be in their bank account, no longer in their bank account. And they didn't end up getting any more. And I guarantee you, Bob Iger hasn't forgotten that. I guarantee you Bob Iger hasn't forgotten that. And it may be 10 years before we see them trying to get revenge, but that's one of the funniest stories ever. And I say this as a Bob Iger fan and as a Disney fan, but Comcast literally screwing Disney out of $30 billion for nothing other than for shits and giggles, to me is one of the funniest stories in Hollywood history. Just one of the best stories in Hollywood history. Okay, anyway, what's next? From CJ Rebirth, Dune 2 is the best movie that I've seen so far this year. Mm. Seeing it in IMAX was awesome, a lot better than the first one, and the entire cast was great. Timothy, Zendaya, Florence Pugh, Josh Brolin, Austin Butler, and Javier Bardem were my favorites. I mean, that's that's the whole cast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> basically, what you're saying is you thought Rebecca Ferguson sucked. Because yeah. like, She's uh, not listen. <laughs> um, listen, man, I, I think it's the best movie I've seen in years. I mean, it's been a long, again, it's every three or four years, I come out of a movie that makes me go, this is why I love movies. And Dune, it's been a long time since I've, you know what, I don't think it's been since The Help. I remember The Help was was a movie that did that for me. I, I, I mean, It was nominated for Best Picture, but people didn't appreciate it the way I did. But I remember coming out of watching The Help and going, and that might have been eight or nine years ago, but I came out of The Help and going, this is the kind of movie that reminds me about why I love movies. Dune 2 is that for me now. I mean, it's just incredible. Anyway, all right, what's next? From Red War 77, hi, everyone. Thanks for all the great content. Oh, you're welcome. Did you see Denis Villeneuve's comments in Variety about movies being corrupted by television because he doesn't like dialogue in film? 
The guy gets a visionary, but I don't agree with that at all. Uh, you Okay, to be clear, you just really oversimplified what it was he was actually saying. Um, yeah, and I think he raised some really, really valid points. He talks about how he does... Actually, who was it that just said... I, it was... Uh, what's the name of the guy who ran uh, Breaking Bad? Gillian? Gillen? Oh, Vince Gillen. Vince Gillen. Vince Gillen. Vince Gillen was just talking about this, actually. It was really, really interesting where he said, people think about writing out a movie in terms of dialogue. He said, dialogue, that's just the chair you put on top. Structure, movement, action. That's the real writing of, of a story is all that. And then then you put in the dialogue to fill in the gaps. Di I, I really took uh, Denise's comments more along those lines when he's talking about that. Um, and it wasn't nearly as adversarial as I think you're making it up, but everybody should go and read. I think it's a really interesting read. And yes, there were things Denny says in there that I don't agree with as well, but I think it was very interesting what his, uh, what his point of view is on that. All right, what's next? From Ariel Club. Hey guys, hope all's well. So Henry Cavill is in Marvel. It's official. Now I've heard rumors of him playing what? Cyclops. No, wait, first of all, no, it's not. <laughs> who's who's, to, who's telling you something? That, like, as far as I know, that is not true. At all. Okay, that being said, please continue reading the thing. I've heard of him playing Cyclops or of the Beyond or even Doctor Doom, which I don't think is a bad choice. Have you heard anything about what Cap Henry Cavill would be playing in the MCU? Cheers. Let's be very, very clear. It is a rumor that Henry Rumors. Cavill is going to play a role in thing. We talked very clearly about this. It could be true. I'm not saying it's not true. Okay, let's be very clear. I'm not saying it's not true. But... It's official is a lie. <laughs> Anybody who tells you that is either completely, you know, ill-informed or just straight up lying to you. It is not official uh, at all. And so if he has decided to take a role, uh, who knows what it'll be. I think he's a little bit too old to play Cyclops. He's not too old to play Cyclops right now, but I think he's too old to start playing Cyclops, who I think they're going to want to keep using for the next 10 to 15 years. Um, but, you know, that that being said, I'll, Henry can be anything. I don't I honestly see him as a great Doctor Doom, but hey, if they announce him as Doctor Doom, I'd be thrilled. But again, let's be very, very clear. Hell no, it is not official that Henry Cavill has signed on to an MC. That's a rumor there could be validity to it. I'm not saying there's not. But as of right now, it is absolutely, let's be clear, 100% not official. Let's be clear about that, lest people get their expectations up for no reason. All right, what's next? From Akshay Thakur. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. I'm sure I did. Hi, guys. I was wondering, since the Netflix Marvel shows are canon to the MCU, how will it make sense for Evan Moss Bakran to play uh, Ben Grimm and the MCU if he already played Microchip in the Punisher series? They're not They're not going to care about that. They're not. They're, I mean, remember, because the, the, the Netflix series never were going to be canon with the MCU up until recently when they just decided to change their minds. So Eben Moss is obviously a problem, uh, but they're not just they're just going to choose not to care about it in the same way that the Mahershala was a problem because Mahershala was Cottonmouth. And but remember, at the time when they were making plans for Fantastic Four and they were making plans for a new Blade, the Netflix stuff was not going to be canon with the MCU. It was just recently that Kevin Feige made the decision that, you know what? Let's just say that the Netflix ones are, and we're just going to ignore the overlapping ca uh, casting problems uh, because it never was the plan for having them to be canon. Now that they are, it's just like, yeah, Ben Grimm looks just like the guy who was in Punisher. 
yeah, Blade has an uncanny resemblance to Cottonmouth, but they're not going to worry about it at this point. All right, what's next? Here we go. From XIX Revenge, may thy knife chip and shatter. So yeah. Dune 2 on Sunday and I already have my tickets for Friday. How many times do you all plan on seeing it? Thanks and bring on the filthy. Not as many times as I would like because it is a long movie. It's a very, very long movie, but I'm probably minimum going to see it four times. Uh, we're, we're, four. We've already got tickets for Thursday. Uh, and then we'll probably have two more of that. And then about a hundred times. Anna's seen Dune 1, like literally without exaggeration. Anna's probably watched Dune 1 about 30 times. Uh, but that's been at home. And so <laughs> she will watch it a lot. So but she'll probably times. go to the theaters, see it three or four times. With hours me. of my life. Yeah. So many times. But they're good hours. They're good hours. All right. What's next? From C. Ham. Hi, John and crew. I know this question comes up a lot, but I need to know if you ever think we'll get a live action Thundercats movie. One of the best videos you could ever watch on YouTube, and I'm not talking about the old fake trailer that somebody made for Thundercats with uh, Hugh Jackman in it and Vin Diesel as Panthro. Wasn't there a Brad Pitt one? It was, no, that's the same one. Brad, Brad Pitt yeah, as yeah. Lion-O. If you haven't seen that, you should. But... James McAvoy, there is a, just search YouTube for James McAvoy Thundercats. Because James, and I think this is like eight years old, this interview. I don't know how long it was, but James McAvoy breaks down about what he thinks a live action Thundercats movie could be and how he would desperately love to be in it. It's, it's a great video. You should go look it up, check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, I don't know if they ever will. They've been talking about it for years and years and years. It's a difficult one to do. But let's make no mistake about it. A Thundercats movie would be a bloody expensive film to make. Oh, yeah, man. Um, like a real expensive film to make. So I, I don't know, but I would like to see one if they <laughs> yeah. did. Do we able to find it, Chris? Oh, I th as soon as I said, look up James McAvoy, blah, blah, you started typing. So I thought maybe that's Oh, sorry. I was trying up. to chat to in the chat. <laughs> All right. What's next? From Kane Carnage. Who are you arguing with? <laughs> no one today. I'm being nice today. Kane Carnage X. Hey guys, I remember a lot of people wondering what Netflix uh, Netflix's new big thing is going to be, and I'm sure it's One Piece. No. The first season won so many people over. Netflix's new show uh, shows new anime episodes up weekly. Very few shows get that treatment, and they announced a remastered version of the anime that they will create. Netflix is all in on One Piece. No, that's that's not their next big thing. And listen, I say that as somebody who is one of those people who got won over by the live action. I, I really enjoyed the live action One Piece. I really did. Uh, I've talked about it on the show. Um, I'm looking forward to them doing another season, but it's it's not the next big thing. It's just not. I, it would be cool if it could be, but it's not. It's uh, it won me over. I but I listen. I've got fairly big circles. I don't know anybody else in my circles who's watched it, the live action one. I don't think you have, Ray. Have you? No, I only watched episode one and I liked it. I just never went back to it. Jonathan, have you watched it? Uh, no, not yet. But Chris, I'm going to guess that. you have. Have you watched the live action One Piece? Okay, yeah. so you'd have. Mm -hmm. So there we go. But honestly, outside of this room, I honestly don't know anybody else who's watched it. My friends have, but they're nerds. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure there are many people who have. I'm just yeah. saying, I, so I don't, I don't think, think that's going to be up, the though, next the way big that our thing. bubble thinks it did. To be fair, Netflix has those randoms that actually blow up for out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, like it's, so it's always, not going to be um, Squid Game. It's not going to be Stranger Things. It's going to be some other thing. Yeah, it's not going to be The Crown. It's, it, but it's. I, I just don't think it's going to be that, unfortunately. But I'm looking forward to season season two. I'm looking forward to seeing it. All right, guys. 
And that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campy Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making this little show part of your day. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in questions. Number one, because you gave us interesting things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it and all of us involved with the show. Thank you guys so very much for your support. A little bit of a programming note. Today at 4.15 p.m. Los Angeles time, you can look up whatever that is in your time zone, we will be doing our next installment of Open Mic. Just a more casual, laid back, feel like coming by and just chatting more about movies and stuff. Come on by and join me at 4.15 Los Angeles time this afternoon, and we're looking forward to seeing you then. So, for all the people in the room with me, Ray Ora. See you later. Jonathan Voico. See ya. Chris Carr. Bye. My name's John Campia. Thanks for being here, guys. And until next time, my friends. Bye-bye.